And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, just as you use the tongues of your apostles to proclaim your good news, I pray that you would bless my tongue, my words, to build up your holy people in the knowledge and love of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Rushing wind, resting fire, other tongues. The three elements I want to unpack this morning. Our Lord Jesus spent three years teaching and doing things to reveal to his disciples who he truly was, God the Son. And that in knowing God the Son, we now know who God truly is, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus had told the disciples quite a lot about the Holy Spirit on the night before he died. So they'd only recently received this information, as we heard recorded, for instance, in John chapter 14. And his parting instructions, right, the moment before he ascends is, wait here in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Imagine for a moment what it must have been like for the disciples after having seen Jesus ascended, being told that he's, by the angels that he's not going to come again like that until the second coming at the end of the age. And they're supposed to just wait for the Holy Spirit. I wonder them in the upper room gathering um, in this place, this sort of haven that they had, you know, would they feel like a feeling of something? Like, wait, is, is this the Holy Spirit? You know, someone gets a good idea and they're like, wait, is, is this the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit himself leaves them in no uncertainty because the first sign that accompanies his coming 10 days after the ascension is the sound of a rushing wind. Um, the sound of a rushing wind revealing uh, that it's him. And the first clue here is in the original languages of the Bible, the word for wind and the word for spirit is the same word. There's just one word, and translators have to figure out by context, is it wind, is it spirit? And there's a few cases where there's a sort of happy ambiguity of like, oh, maybe it's kind of both. But anyways, hearing this wind sound, and think about the sort of the thrill. I love a really strong wind, as long as it's not threatening to like tornado the house down or something. The, song, the, the sound of a strong wind, it's this exhilarating rush the sound of of power signaling the coming of god the holy spirit i think there's also we can kind of see degrees of the coming of god the incarnation you know we sing silent night holy night christ came the first time in quietness the holy spirit comes with the sound of a rushing wind and at christ's second coming we'll all see him in glory and great power And then after the sound of rushing wind, divided tongues as of fire rested on them. And there's multiple layers of meaning in this idea of divided tongues resting on them. In the first place, this is not the first time that fire has descended 50 days after Passover. This is a mapping on directly to God's actions under the Old Covenant. That after the very first Passover, 50 days, Pentecoste, 50 days... After the first Passover, God came in with fire on Sinai 
to give the law. Exodus 19.18 Yahweh came wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. So the Spirit is teaching about himself, just as Jesus did in his earthly ministry. The Spirit is teaching his identity. He is truly God, just as the Son is God, just as the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and they just, because of communicated by this parallel of fire descending 50 days after Passover. And fire, as an element, further communicates what the Spirit has come to do, to warm, inwardly speaking, and to purify, especially in the old days when metallurgy and all that was more common, the cleansing of metals, to, to begin the work of sanctification in our lives through Jesus Christ. And that the fire was in the shape of a tongue and not some other shape is the Holy Spirit's way of helping the disciples understand because, of course, they didn't know what was happening as it was happening. They were just experiencing it. But then when they started speaking in tongues to make the connection, oh, this is the Holy Spirit, shape of a tongue, speaking in tongues, making the connection for the disciples. As an aside, um, a detail of the story that really struck me this year is that the disciples were just sitting. They weren't sort of standing up and getting all excited in some sort of um, uh, trying to sort of stoke something up. They were just sitting peacefully and the Holy Spirit fell on them. I think that's instructive because I think sometimes we can think about the power of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, as if it um, only happens if we're sort of in this fever of excitement. They, they were just sitting. And then even the language of the Spirit coming is, in a way, he came and sat on them rested on them. There's a gentleness that I hadn't noticed in the story till this year. And then they begin speaking in other tongues. This is the familiar element of Pentecost. Um, there's a, a detail of it that caught me, catches me this year as well. Which is that um, in the first century world, everybody spoke Greek. Everybody was bilingual. You had your language of your family, of your region, and you had the Greek that you would use in the marketplace around the Mediterranean. It was the lingua franca. So the disciples could have preached in Greek, and everybody in Jerusalem would have understood it. I hadn't realized that before, that there wasn't this sort of felt need of, oh, no, they, they would never be able to communicate if they didn't have this other language. But God gives them languages they'd never learned to communicate in. And this is wonderful. In the first place, it shows that it's really God speaking through them. It's not just the ideas of men. They're actually, the fact that they're using a language they didn't know reveals this is God speaking through them in a way like how he would speak through them in the inspiration and writing of Holy Scripture. In fact, I guess we have both in Acts chapter 2, the speech recorded then in Holy Scripture, the speech of Peter. But I think there's uh, the additional communication of the fact that God gave them other languages is it teaches this message is for all people. And I love the tenderness in their mother tongue, that all the people gathered who had all these different mother tongues, that they would hear the power of the gospel in their heart language. God's way of really coming down to all people and also communicating to the disciples, you need to go take this message into places of other languages. Some of the early church fathers even speculate, you know, it doesn't say in the scripture, but I wonder, we, I wonder if the very language that they found themselves speaking, was that the people that they would end up going to as missionaries? Because we know almost all the apostles went as missionaries around 
the, the, the known world. We don't know, but it's a, it's a tender thought. Rushing wind, resting fire, other tongues. And just to map our Christian stories onto Pentecost. Although, for most of you, I assume, it wasn't as dramatic as Pentecost, each one of us has had the fire of the Holy Spirit poured into our lives in our baptisms. The apostles had the unique privilege of being baptized directly from heaven. We are baptized by the apostles and their successors and the ministers of the church. But we receive that same Holy Spirit who has, as it says in Romans, shed the love of God abroad in our hearts and begun his purifying work. And because we have the Holy Spirit, we are also called to speak about the gospel. I love the acclamation we make in the midst of the liturgy. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. What a great distillation of the gospel. That's it, right? He's died. He's risen. And he's going to come again. To speak to those around us in a way that they will understand. In a way they'll understand with the heart. And that's why I think um, it's not about sort of learning some evangelistic strategy to then enact. That people catch the falseness sometimes if it's superimposed. If it's not out of the heart to the heart. There's this sort of sense of being sold on something. No, we must speak from the heart to the heart. Psalm 116 says, I believed and so I spoke. And so I spoke. Quoted by Paul later in the New Testament. We don't need to worry about the speaking part. We need to worry about the believing part. If we believe, we will speak. If we truly believe the gospel, we'll speak about it. Now for the apostles, this fullness of belief came instantaneously in this dramatic power. For most of us, myself included, belief is this sort of incremental journey, believing more and more, season by season, year by year, growing in faith, until I truly believe it. Until we truly believe it. And when we believe it, we'll speak about it. And this is why I'm often a broken record, I feel like, in commending the sweet spiritual discipline of morning and evening prayer. Because it's the best tool I know for just strengthening belief day by day. It's actually... The evangelism strategy, I imagine, for us as a church is as we grow in our belief year after year after year, in 20 years from now, we'll all be really zealous evangelists because we'll believe really deeply. We'll be speaking from the heart to the heart. May God increase the fire of the Holy Spirit within us. And may he give us the tongues to speak to our neighbors. Amen.